We're going to talk this morning about community. And one of the things as we're wrapping this Lighted Up series up this week and um, next week we'll be looking at the first Sunday of Advent. It's hard to believe, Carrie, that we're already back to, to Advent. Um, it seems like just yesterday we were in Christmas 2018, um, but here we are Christmas 2019. And, uh, and, and, and one of the things that, that, we, that we did was kind of a progression here. We talked two weeks ago about identity, right? Knowing who you are in Christ. And really, identity is all about knowing whose you are, right? That you're not defined um, by this world, that you're not defined by me, or you're not defined by your, your family. You're defined by Christ and who Jesus says you are and the fact that you were bought um, uh, on the cross. And, and, and I love that, which leads into unity. Ian talked about last week, unity. And today we're going to talk about community because you can't have community without unity. I mean, if you take the unity out of community, you've got calm, right? And that just doesn't, that doesn't make sense, right? And so you can't have unity without community. But before we dive into that, one of the things that's really been... Um, that, that I've gotten interested in probably over the summer, maybe end of the spring into the summer, is I'm really enjoying reading um, like books that were written by Navy SEALs or books that were written by former service men and women. Like one of the, one of the best um, books, uh, leadership books that I've read in a long time is Extreme Ownership. Um, by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And we read that as a staff back in the spring. And we were really inspired um, by this. And one of the things, I actually noticed three things as I was reading through that book and reading through some other other books written by servicemen and women, which by the way, I know Veterans Day was real recently. Thank you for all of those who have served um, and are serving and families um, in, in, in any branch of in any branch of the military, my father was a marine, and uh, and and Tom was a marine, and and um, all of that. And so I know we've got many many servicemen and women represented in this room. Thank you for that. But but three things I've noticed in reading through about uh, these men and women who have served our country, who are serving our country in one way or another, is number one, they lay their lives down for the mission, don't they? They lay their lives down for the mission. I was um, reading yesterday, I was finishing up a book, which if you're a reader, isn't that a great feeling? Finishing up a book that you've been reading. And uh, I was finishing up a book, and the last chapter, the author talks about how he was flying to Houston, and he ended up sitting um, amongst about 20 servicemen and women who were heading home. And they were talking about how they couldn't wait to be home. And uh, their longing for home, and he, he compared that to our longing for eternity. And it was just a real, uh, it was a real awesome way to finish the book. It was a great book. And, uh, but, but, but one thing I noticed was, um, again, in reading yesterday, just reinforced the point that these servicemen and women, they lay their lives down for the mission. And another thing that they do is they lay their lives down for each other. You talk to um, some servicemen and women, I got, I got a chance to spend some time with, with one over the summer, some extended time. And one of the things that he said to me was, you know, I never feared anything except being left alone. Which I thought was interesting. He's like, being in the middle of, you know, gunfire, being in the middle of, you know, places where there's, you know, these, 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 these bombs going off and all these different things. I, I never feared those things as long as I had my brothers and sisters with me. He said, the thing I feared was being alone. I thought that was interesting because they lay their lives down for each other. And then lastly, 
um, they protect each other, which kind of goes with number two. But, but, but one of the things I noticed, and, and the reason I separated it out, is they have this intense way of protecting each other. This intense way of guarding each other, having each other's back. And I, and I think to myself as I read these books and as I read Extreme Ownership and, and some different things, you know, I get inspired because I see that same blueprint in the Acts church. You read Acts 2, 42-47, and you see that same blueprint that they, that they shared everything. They had everything in common. Now, they couldn't have had everything in common, right? I mean, musical differences, you know, how they felt about the new Frozen movie. I mean, they couldn't have, they couldn't have agreed about everything, right? They couldn't have agreed about everything. But, but when I read that, and, and, and if you read that and study that, you see that they had the right things in common. And that's what mattered. And so they had everything in common, right? And they shared together and they protected each other and they, and they gave their lives for the mission and they laid their lives down for each other. And I, I can't help but think to myself, oh, if the church had that level of dedication to each other. That level of dedication to each other. And it starts with our dedication to Jesus, doesn't it? Like Ian last week, Ian mentioned how he had about three messages that he was trying to decide between. Um, I I was in a similar boat this week, and one of the places I was going to go was John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. I couldn't get that out of my head all summer as I was reading through this, because community starts with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus pursues us. Why? So that He could have community with us. And you see it in the woman at the well, how he went out of his way, a way that he shouldn't have gone to be with this woman. We see it with Zacchaeus. Um, it was a wee little man, right? And he was stuck in the, tr- in the tree, right? And, and, and Jesus went to him, this, this tax collector, spent the afternoon with him. And, 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 and what happened? He ended up following Jesus. We see it. Jesus had a track record, right, of pursuing people for the purpose of community, And what would it look like as we spend the rest of our time together talking through this? What would it look like if we truly, if we truly, and I'm talking just to some of church, the people in this room, the people in this room, let's forget the, the 1030 service. They don't matter right now. Let's just think about the people in this room. What would it look like if we laid our lives down for the mission? Truly. What would it look like if we laid our lives down for the person across the room from us? What would it look like if we protected each other in that way? One of the things I said at the end of the second service last Sunday as I hobbled up here on crutches is, is, you know, one of the biggest things about unity that I think is we have to protect the unity of the church. You know, the enemy wants nothing more than to break into the unity of the church, to break into, if he can crack the church, then the church is, is distracted from accomplishing its mission, right? He wants nothing more than to get victory by dividing us and making us un- what, the opposite of unity and breaking our community. Disunified and breaking our community. 
You can't have community without unity. So listen, listen to this. I preached on this about two or three years ago, and it's just as true today as it was then. Um, but as I, as I went back and, and studied, I saw this and thought, man, we've got to share this today. Unity without diversity, because there, as Ian talked about last week with Cheez-Its and Apple and Google and all types of different things, right? Um, that there's diversity. Unity without diversity would produce uniformity, and that tends to produce death. Now, what I want you to hear from last week and this week, nope, can't stand up. What I want you to hear, it's killing me though, doors, I just want to walk around. Um, but but um, the, the, the tension is that we don't all have to look the same. I will never forget Dan Garrish. Many of us know Dan Garrish. Uh, the first Sunday he came to Summit Church, we were celebrating. We were kind of celebrating our first open Sunday. Some of you are laughing because you know the story. And Dan walks in and we had balloons and, and everybody was wearing their I love my church t-shirt. Most people, a lot of people. Enough people to make Dan concerned. <laughs> because Dan walked in and he's like, okay, this is really either cool and there's a lot of unity or there's something special going on or this is a cult. And he's like, and he stuck around and I think he found out it was the previous, not the not the latter, because we were just celebrating something that Sunday. But we don't want to produce uniformity, right? Unity without diversity produces uniformity, and that tends to lead to death. Life is a balance between unity and diversity. Life is a balance between unity and diversity. As a body weakens, its system slows down and everything tends to become uniform. However, if diversity isn't kept under control, it could destroy unity. If diversity isn't kept under control, it could destroy unity. I've debated whether or not to share this story, but I think it's important for us to hear because I think it's important for us to see this example I was watching a video of a message recently, a pastor was preaching, and they were doing like a Q&A thing, which Ian loves that idea of us doing a live Q&A, and I'm like, eh, if we get the questions ahead of time, maybe, because um, I know some of you, and some of you could be, anyway, um, but, uh, but um, the, the question was, why doesn't our church preach more on politics? Seems to make sense, right? There's a lot happening in our world right now around politics. Why doesn't our church preach more on politics? And you know what that pastor said? And I loved it. He went on to about a five-minute explanation of his response. But his initial response was this. Because we have bigger things to talk about. I love that. I love that. I love that. We have bigger things to talk about than whether you're... An elephant or a donkey? Republican or Democrat? We have bigger things to talk about than whether or not you voted for President Trump. You have, we have bigger things to talk about than those things. We have eternity at stake here in the church. And we can allow those political things, that political diversity to divide us, or we can celebrate our differences as long as we keep that diversity in check and in balance, because if it's not kept under control, it could destroy unity. What I'm saying there is, we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. I would much rather preach Jesus. I would much rather preach eternity. Maturity balances unity and diversity. 
And when we think about unity, when we think about identity, when we think about community, which we're going to get into in just a second, it's really a question of maturity. It's really a question of maturity. Growing up, Thanksgiving, Christmas, holidays, I'm looking at McKenna right here, Bria, they didn't mean much to me. I'll just be honest. We didn't have a big family. It didn't mean much, Rob. Didn't, didn't, I mean, it's just another day, and a lot of times I'd try to get out of the house in the afternoon and go play basketball with my friends down the street because there just wasn't much happening. But over the last few years, I'd like to think I've matured a little bit, maybe. And man, I can't wait for Thursday. I can't wait for Christmas. I love the days where the only thing that's open is Cumberland Farms and they're giving away free coffee. That's Christmas. I love the days where you have nothing to do but play games with your family and be in community with your family. I look forward to those days. Now, I may need somebody to text me Thursday afternoon and remind me of that. But I love those days. Why? Because as you get older, as you mature, you value different things, don't you? Community is an issue of maturity. How much do you value the people that are around you? How much do you value the people that are right next to you? How much do you value that? And so, to get to the text this morning, we are all, some things that we have to define about community before we get going here, is we're all programmed for community. That's the reality. The basis for community comes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. It was the first thing that God created and said wasn't good. He looked at man and said he was alone. Why? Because we were created for relationship. We were created for community. Everything was good, but this was not good for man to be alone. So what's the definition of community? I'm glad you asked. It's a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. Living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. So what brings us together as the church? Jesus. I heard somebody whisper it. I heard somebody whisper it. Jesus. Okay? Remember, when you're in church and you're asked a question, you can never go wrong with Jesus. Okay? As the answer. Just, just shout it out. Okay? Okay? Um, that's the thing that unites us. Right? That's the person, the work of Jesus. That's what unites us. That's what brings us together is our focus on Jesus. Fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Our goal here, to make His heaven as big as we can possibly make it. To introduce people to Jesus. To see life change and transformation and repentance and conviction come as a result of a relationship with Jesus and maturity thereafter, right? That's what unites us. That's what brings us together. Not our music styles, not our, not our, not our paints interests, not, nothing, none of that, stained glass or not, none of those things are what brings us together. Jesus brings us together. That's our community. Matthew chapter 26, verse 56, uh, is where we're going to camp out for just a minute. I want us to look at Peter. Peter was probably, arguably, uh, one, of the, one of the more famous disciples, okay? The guy that walked on water, um, the guy that denied Jesus three times. Uh, he, he, you know, he had it going on when it came to Jesus. He was curious, not quite as curious as Thomas, um, but, 
But Peter was one of the more famous disciples that we see. And in Matthew chapter 26, verses 56 and 57, I want to read those to you. They'll be on your screen. It says this, and Jesus is speaking here, but all this had taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Now, what, what had just happened is Jesus had just been betrayed here. Excuse me. Jesus had just been betrayed. He's captured. He's going to Caiaphas' house to go under trial. Verse 57. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas' house, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And verse 58. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the... Um, as far as the courtyard of the high priest and going he, inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Peter fled. It says there that the disciples all fled, but Peter here fled. Peter, the guy that said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave your side. And I want you to get the imagery here that Peter ran from Jesus. Now, granted, the stakes were high. The temperature was high, right? And Peter didn't know what else to do. He panicked, right? How many of us have ever panicked in a situation like that? Amen. I see you. I see those hands. Okay, all right, he panicked and he ran. I want you to see this and all the disciples. He ran from the literal body of Christ. They ran from Jesus. To bring this to today, our little our literal body, our literal family, our literal body of Jesus today is the church. It's us. And I want you to see that Peter separated himself from his people, separated himself. From the body. There was a separation from the body and there was a separation from the people within the body. All the disciples fled. They went in different directions. Peter, Peter being the person that he was, right? He, he kind of stuck around, followed from a distance, snuck into the courtyard to, to keep his distance, to not be associated with Jesus, but he wanted to see what was going on. Point number one for us today is the first step away from God is usually a step away from the people of God. If you're struggling in this place, if you've, if you've walked through a hardship, if you've walked through a hard time, typically, typically, our first step away from God is to distance ourselves from the church. We see it all the time today, right? Because there are so many messages, there are so many church services right at your fingertips. You don't even have to leave your bed. You can go to Bedside Baptist every Sunday and still hear a message. Because there are so many things at our fingertips, right? And I'm, I'm as guilty as, as, as anyone. I listen to about three to five messages a week. Three to five sermons a week. I love watching other churches. I love watching their services. But guess where I belong? Right here. When we sing that song, there's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be than right here in the presence of God with you folks singing and worshiping and opening His Word. But the first step away from God is usually a step away from the people of God. We start to distance ourselves from the people that love us the most. And Peter, verse 58, was following him at a distance. Underline that, highlight that, star that in your Bible. Following him at a distance. Because if he followed too close, get this, he might be identified with him. If he followed too close to Jesus, he might be identified with him. And guess what? He might have to give his life too. How often do we do that? Where we follow, we associate ourselves with the church. We associate ourselves with Jesus just enough, just enough, but we keep our distance, 
right? Maybe I won't become a member. Maybe I won't plug into a small group. Maybe I won't start serving because what if I start getting identified with those people? What if I start getting identified as a Jesus person? Are people still going to like me? Are people still going to care about me? Not, and I want you to see that Jesus, that Peter, uh, and, and this is true for a lot of us, Peter still, Peter still followed him from a distance, and we do the same thing. We still follow him from a distance, not because we love him, but in case we might need him. Let me keep you right here in case I need you in a, in a, in a, in a time of emergency, right? He goes on to surround himself with the wrong crowd and then the denial, not once, not twice, but three times. He denies Jesus. He denies Jesus. And have you ever noticed this? It gets easier to deny Jesus the longer that we're separated. The longer you're separated, the easier it is to deny it. Peter ultimately recognized. He repented. And... and, 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 and um, and Peter goes on to lead the charge in the Acts church. But we've got to understand that the first step away from God is usually a step away from the people of God. I want to flip over to the book of Hebrews. So what do we do with this? In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, starting in verse 19, the writer of Hebrews, I wish we knew who it was, writes this, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. I want you to get that. I want you to get that. Confidence wasn't because of who they were. The confidence wasn't because of, of, of how strong their community was. Their confidence was in the blood of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? We, we, and, and, and the reality for us today is that we have access to that same confidence. That same blood of Jesus covered us. So the writer of Hebrews since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, get this, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's the writer of Hebrews getting at here? Let us draw near to Jesus full of confidence, washed clean with pure water, um, and, 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 and full assurance of faith together. Full assurance of faith together. The first thing that we have to do when it comes to community, when it comes to the church today, 2019, about to turn the page, 2020, right? The thing that we have to understand today when it comes to community is that we've got to understand the call to commit to Christ. The call to community is a call to Jesus. The call to community is a call to Jesus. The call to Summit Church is a call to Jesus. The first question we ask when we, when we do our membership classes, am I called to belong to this church? The reality, the reality is that's a calling. And it's not a calling necessarily to the church. That's a calling to belong. But the first calling is to Jesus. Not the call to attend church, but to seriously commit your life to Jesus. He says there, with a sincere heart. With a sincere heart. The Bible says that if we're going to follow Jesus, let's be serious. Let's be serious. The writer of Hebrews is saying that if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to get serious about it. Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to be casual. We say that quite often. But it's hard. 
But the reality is, if you've never struggled, then you've never followed. If you've never struggled, you've never followed. I know it's small. But I'll testify to that this morning. Okay, and I'm not, I'm not comparing to any of you and some of you are going about, oh man, you know, quiet about the knee. The other day I was really kind of down on myself and woe is me about my knee. And it was hurting me and I was like, oh, you know, I just, I just, you know, want sympathy and all that stuff. And um, it was pretty painful, Herb. And I was listening to... Um, Christian radio. I don't remember if it was K Love or Air One. I don't. I just don't remember. But every song for the next four songs was about slowing down and recognizing Jesus in your life. And finally, at one point, I was about a three quarters of a mile from home, and the the fourth song came on that was about that. And I knew the lyrics, and I knew the song, and. It, it, it was almost like God, I mean, in that moment, have you ever felt like this? God was just picking on you. Like God was just having you right there. And he's like, hey, I'm going to try to break into Travis's thick skull and show him something here. And what's interesting about that, what's interesting about that is I'd had two conversations in the previous 12 hours about how, you know, one with Kristen and one with somebody else through text messaging. And, and they were saying, uh, bo- both of them were saying, hey, you know, I-, I think just God really wanted to slow you down in this season with this knee. And that's why you did it. And that's why you're having a slower comeback. And, and, and that th- that, that's their way of saying, hey, you're just getting older. Um, and so you need to learn to slow down a little bit more. But I struggled with that. I struggle with slowing down. If there's one verse that gets on my nerves in Scripture, but yet I love at the same time, Dwayne, it's be still and know that I'm God. Can't we run and know that you're God? I mean, can't, can't we sprint and know that you're... Can't we like... I mean, can't... Why do we have to be still? And I struggle with that. And I've struggled with that for the last week and a half in a big way. In a big way. And finally, as I was driving in the car, very safely with my knee, I realized, all right, God, I'll slow down. I'll embrace this. I'll embrace this season. I'll let you have your way with me. But that doesn't mean I'm happy about it. If you haven't struggled, then you've never followed. If you haven't struggled... You haven't followed. Then you look at verse 23. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And get this, without wavering. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And then number two, the last point we're going to make this morning. So we've got to understand the call to commit to Jesus. Number two, we've got to understand that community is essential for commitment. You can't do it alone. We've already defined earlier, you weren't created to. You're not created to do it alone. 
That's not what God had in store. Look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to stir each other up to love and good works. We need to have those people in our lives that will step into our lives and will stir things up and will tell us and will tell us those hard things when we need to hear like, hey, maybe, maybe, just maybe, God's trying to get you to slow down a little bit. Maybe, just maybe, you need to take a seat for a little while. Maybe, just maybe, you need to figure this out. We need some people that love us enough to step into those hard places. And let me say this real quick. That doesn't happen in a casual conversation. That probably doesn't happen on a Sunday morning. Listen to me, Christian. If you're relying on Sunday morning for your spiritual health, you're going to struggle. If you're relying on Sunday morning to keep you healthy on a day-to-day basis, life to life, day to day, you're going to struggle. I love our Tuesday morning Bible study that comes in here because they're doing life together. They're loving on each other. They're going through Scripture together. They're going deeper. I love our small groups that meet throughout the week. I love that our worship team comes in here on Wednesday nights and spends two hours or so with each other, pouring into each other, loving each other, life on life. Because those conversations go from casual to stirring. You need someone in your life that will not tell you everything you want to hear. We have to get involved with each other. And then in verse 25, not neglecting to meet with one another, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. It's not just about stirring, it's encouraging. We have to, we, we've got to put ourselves into the context of community for this to be encouraged. And I love that the writer of Hebrews says they're not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. It's nice to know that there's nothing new under the sun. They were struggling with this back when the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews penned this. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Do you know the average attendance today, regular church attendance today is 50%? Two out of four Sundays a month. Now, I'm not slapping anybody's hand for that. Hear me. But I've said this before. What do you think it would look like? And, and maybe it's happening. I'm not sure. Some of you avid fans may, may not like this. But remember, unity is more important than diversity. Okay, listen, I'm not trying to stir the pot with this. right? But I'm just saying, what would it look like? Because we would all know this example. If Tom Brady went to the Patriots and went to Bill Belichick and said, hey, you can count on me for eight out of the 16 games this season. Eight out of the 16. You can can count on me. I'll be here 50%. I'll be here half the time. I'll show up, be committed half the time. What what do you think their response is going to be? Well, I mean, they'd probably say, okay, Tom, right? (laughs) Whatever whatever you want, Tom. Have it your way, Tom. This is Burger King. Um, But that's not the idea. Can I, can I press into that just a little bit more? When it comes to community, listen to me. When it comes to community, you get out what you put in. I hear all the time. 
well, I've been sick. I was doing this, and I was in the hospital, and nobody called me, nobody texted me, nothing. Well, did you let somebody know? Have you been around? Well, well, no. Community is a two-way street. You see that? I mean, I'm just... Does that make sense? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and even more as the day is drawing near. I'll put it this way. God will meet you at the level of your expectation. And I believe that is the same when it comes to community. We write each other off so quickly without even having a conversation. I believe that what's at stake for us, and we've already talked about that a little bit at the beginning, what's at stake for us, eternity, Jesus, heaven and hell, what's at stake for us, that's worth a five-minute awkward conversation. Because most of our diversity happens over miscommunication or lack of communication. And I get it, those awkward conversations are difficult and they're hard, but they're necessary for community. They're so necessary for community. Bob Russell said this, because we're in, a, we're in a unique situation as a church, and when I saw this this past week, I thought, I've got to share this. He said this, the church exploded in growth because the people loved being together. I mean, that makes sense, right? When you get a group of people together who genuinely believe something and who really enjoy each other, it's such a contagious atmosphere that you can't keep people away from it. People assume... The smaller churches must have better fellowship and stronger relationships because everybody knows everybody. But churches that genuinely love one another don't stay small very long. I think it's fair to say, Summit, things have changed over the last two years. I mean, I mean it's weird. To God be the glory. But can I just say that for us, in this season that we're in at Summit Church with two services, and we're, we're trying like crazy. I mean, the, the, the Thanksgiving baskets, oh my word, it's overwhelming. The angel tree, overwhelming. Uh, it, I'm still blown away by our annual meeting and the health that, that was demonstrated and displayed there by God. And just, just I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by it all. But community is more important for us now than it ever has been. For you to be plugged into a small group, for you to be plugged into community is more important than it ever has been. As we get bigger, which is, which is, I mean, it's, I love the way that Bob Russell said that people assume the smaller church that smaller churches must have better fellowship and stronger relationships because everybody knows everybody but churches that genuinely love one another and I see that here and it's beautiful. I was part of the 50 plus luncheon on Thursday not just for the food but but I loved being in there and seeing the fellowship and seeing how those 50 plus folks are I think the one prerequisite now is that you don't have to be 50 plus you just have to know somebody that's 50 plus. That's how desperate they are to get people to come to their thing. Um, so I got to go and be a part of that because I know a couple people that are 50 plus. And um, 
And, and as I was sitting back, as I was sitting back, it was it overwhelmed me. I had to say it to the whole group. It overwhelmed me how this group of people, about 40 people or so, eating a turkey dinner together the week before Thanksgiving, loved each other. You could feel it. There was this aura in the room that was love. And I thought to myself in that moment, thinking about this message, I said, this is what has to happen. As we get bigger, as we grow, as God continues to bless us, as we do whatever is in the, is, is, is in the plan of God for Summit over the next time, it's important for us to get smaller as we get bigger. And that means community has to be a priority. It has to be a priority. And so as the worship team comes, they're going to sing a song for us, I want to close with a couple things. We've been committed, and you've heard us say this, we've been committed to creating a culture. Whether we've been vocal about it or not, might make sense to you after you hear it. We've been committed to creating a culture where circles are better than rows. And I want you to hear me say, I believe that. I believe that. In the, excuse me, from the bottom of my heart, I believe that. That this will only produce a certain level of growth. But what produces the most growth growth is when you get in a circle of people on a Tuesday morning, on Thursday at 50 plus lunch, on a Monday night, on a Tuesday night, on a Sunday night, on a Wednesday night, on a Thursday night, on a Friday night, on a Saturday night. When you get around a circle of people, how, how are you doing? How's your heart? What are you struggling with? Can I tell you what I'm struggling with? Can we pray together? Can we, can we hold each other accountable in this? Because I've got nobody. One of the worst feelings is being in a room like this on a Sunday morning and everybody's happy and singing and listening and following along and having conversation and feeling like you're the only person in the room. And if that's you this morning, there are people here that want to embrace you. There are people here that want to hug you, even if you're not a hugger. We've been committed to creating this culture, but you've got to be committed to being a part of the culture. So let's review. The call here is a call to commit to Jesus. The woman at the well was beautiful about that passage that I referenced earlier is that Jesus was pursuing this woman's heart. Not based on what she had been in the past, but based on His love for her in the present. And this morning, I believe for each and every one of us here, even me as I was up there playing the drums, which I wasn't planning on doing this morning, I was up there playing the drums, singing that King of Kings song, singing, there's no place I'd rather be, set a fire down in my soul that I can't control. Man, as I was sitting up there singing, I'm like, Jesus, You are pursuing my heart this morning. I'm here, I'm right here, I'm ready to go wherever You want to take me today, Jesus. I am ready. But we also have to understand that community is essential for that commitment. That I need people like Josh Backman and Tom Turner and and, and Chris Turner to look at me on a Monday night and say, is this really where you should be? I need people to look me in the eye and say, hey, how's your relationship with your kids? Are you dating your kids? 
Hey, how's Kristen's heart? And I've seen both sides of that. And it is so important for us to recognize that community is essential for our commitment to Jesus. Community is essential for our commitment to Jesus. And I pray today that wherever you're at, a scale of 1 to 10, how's your relationships? How's your relationship with Jesus? How's your relationship in community? How are your friendships? Do you have people that can press in? Wherever you're at on that scale of 1 to 10, I pray that you would walk away from here committed to go from a 4 to a 5. Maybe that means in January when small groups swing back around, you commit to a small group. You make it a priority. Make it a priority. Make it a priority to be in community with people. Maybe you can't do a small group. Maybe you make a a Saturday morning Dunkin' Donuts table your small group and your community. It can look, it can, it, can be, it can be different. But are you in a group of people that press in to your commitment to Jesus? And in doing so, press into your commitment to your family. Press into your commitment to your friends. Press into your commitment to your job. Press into your commitment to all of those things.